0: Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at nipT blog slash law People v. Fair, decided on November 21, 2023. Halligan J. Defendant Sebastian Telfair challenges his conviction of criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree, see Penal Law Section 265.033, on several grounds. First, he raises facial and as applied challenges to the statute under which he was convicted based on the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Inc. V. Bruin. Those arguments are unpreserved and For the reasons set forth in People v. Cabrera, decided today, we do not reach them. Second, Telfer argues that the trial court deprived him of his right to a fair trial in admitting evidence of alleged prior bad acts under People v. Molyneux and allowing the prosecutor to make propensity arguments during summation. Because we conclude Supreme Court heard in permitting admission of the prior bad acts evidence and the error was not harmless, we reverse. Telfair was arrested on an early morning in June 2017. After he made a U-turn without his headlights on, law enforcement officials pulled Telfair over. As the officers approached Telfair's truck, they smelled marijuana and observed a lit marijuana cigarette on the center console. The officers seized the cigarette, arrested Telfair and his passenger, and transported them and the vehicle to the police precinct. During an inventory search, the police recovered various items, including two small bags of marijuana and cash. They also found a loaded 45-caliber gun in the truck's center console, as well as three handguns and ammunition in the flatbed area. Each firearm was legally purchased and registered in Telfair's name in Florida. The defendant was charged with several crimes related to possession of weapons and ammunition, as well as various vehicle and traffic violations. The people moved under people v. Molyneux to introduce evidence of two prior incidents involving Telfair's possession of a weapon, a 2006 uncharged crime and a 2007 misdemeanor conviction for weapon possession. The people expected that Telfair would claim at trial that someone else had packed his truck and unbeknownst to him, placed his guns inside it, and the prior acts would show the defendant actually knew he possessed the firearms on the day of his arrest. Defense counsel responded that given the temporal remoteness and dissimilarity of the prior incidents, they had little, if any, probative value and were highly prejudicial, in part because the 2007 conviction concerned the same charge for which Telfair was now on trial. When asked whether he would assert that Telfair did not know the guns were in his car, defense counsel did not disclaim the defense. Supreme Court admitted the evidence. Finding it extremely probative that in the prior incidents, Telfair claimed not to have knowledge of guns found in his possession and came up with an excuse about not having placed those guns in his possession, whether it's his luggage or his vehicle. The court noted it would provide a limiting instruction that the evidence should be considered only as to Telfair's knowing state of mind and absence of mistake, not any propensity to commit the alleged crime. At various points during the trial, the court gave such an instruction. Including during the people's opening and closing statements, multiple times throughout the testimony regarding the incidents, as part of the jury charge, and in response to a jury question during deliberations. Opening statements and much of the trial testimony focused on whether Telfair knew the guns were in his car. Telfair's wife testified that he had moved out of their Florida home, taking his belongings and storing them with the help of Katerina Scotto, his girlfriend at the time. Scotto testified to the same course of events and that she allowed the defendant to store his cars at her home, opened storage units for him, and helped him coordinate the shipping of two vehicles, including the truck in which he was stopped, to New York after movers packed them. She also claimed to have seen the defendant put a gun in the bed of the truck before it was shipped. A tow truck driver testified to taking the defendant's two vehicles and passing them along to a vehicle transporter. Who in turn testified to taking the vehicles to New York and leaving them with Telfair. The people also demonstrated that the guns were legally purchased by and registered to Telfair in Florida, and that one of the guns was found in the truck's center console after the arrest. And a detective testified to New York Police Department records showing that the city's license plate reader system placed the defendant's truck at numerous locations across New York in the days after it arrived there, but before the defendant's arrest. Defense counsel told the jury that Telfair did not know the guns were in his car, that Telfair had someone else packed the truck and did not know the guns were placed inside it, and that when Telfair retrieved the truck from a long-term packing facility the day before his arrest, he still did not know the guns were inside it. Defense counsel further contended that the absence of Telfair's fingerprints or DNA on the guns confirmed his account the people put on Molyneux evidence regarding the two prior incidents in which the defendant previously possessed guns outside of Florida. First, a Massachusetts detective testified that in 2006, while Telfair was a professional basketball player, a flight attendant on the team plane found a 22 caliber pistol in a pillow imprinted with a photograph of Telfair's baby. The detective determined that the gun was legally owned by the defendant's then-girlfriend, Samantha Rodriguez. Telfer told the detective at the time that he had borrowed Rodriguez's gym bag while packing for his trip and did not realize it contained the pistol, not knowing what to do with the gun once he discovered it after boarding, he placed it inside his pillow. The detective testified that, after inspecting the gym bag and confirming that it contained Rodriguez's belongings, he accepted the defendant's explanation and no criminal charges were filed. Next A police officer and an assistant district attorney testified regarding the 2007 incident, in which Telfair was stopped for speeding in Westchester County and the officer found a loaded 45 caliber handgun under the passenger seat. According to the assistant district attorney, Telfair's lawyer proffered that the gun belonged to Rodriguez, and that, as the primary user of the vehicle, she must have left the gun in the car. Telfair and his fiance pleaded guilty to criminal possession of a weapon in the fourth degree. In summation, the prosecutor referenced the guns found in the prior incidents, stating that the defendant claimed I didn't know, I had them by accident, and now here we are again ten years later in 2017 he's caught again and it's the same excuse. Telfair objected, and the court reiterated its limiting instruction, but the prosecutor then remarked that the jury could consider that Telfair's use this. I don't want to say excuse, but he's used this defense multiple times. During deliberations, the jury sent a note requesting clarity on how the Molyneux evidence could be used, which read, How is the jury allowed to use the evidence from the Westchester and Boston firearm incident and not allowed to use it for example, knowledge or lack of mistake as to what? Defense argued that a responsive instruction should not refer to mistake or accident because the defense theory was not that Telfair had mistakenly possessed guns, but rather that he did not know he possessed them. The court nonetheless reiterated its instruction, and the jury returned a guilty verdict shortly thereafter. Telfair was convicted of one count of criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree in connection with the gun recovered from the truck's center console and acquitted of all other charges. The appellate division affirmed, concluding that Supreme Court properly exercised its discretion in admitting the Molyneux evidence because it was relevant and probative of Telfair's knowing possession of the guns, that Telfair had placed the element in issue by claiming a lack of knowledge, and that any potential prejudice was offset by the multiple limiting instructions. Justice Barros dissented and granted the defendant's application for leave to appeal to this court and for a stay of execution of the judgment, which we extended pending determination of this appeal. Before this court, Telfer raises several constitutional challenges to his conviction for the first time. He argues that the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Incorporated v. Bruin, rendered unconstitutional the entirety of New York's licensing regime. Which in turn meant that the provision under which he was convicted for unlicensed possession was facially unconstitutional. Telfer also contends that the statute is unconstitutional as applied to him on several grounds that given his valid Florida gun license, we must assume that the proper cause requirement alone made his unlicensed possession criminal, and that his right to travel under the Privileges and Immunities Clause is violated by what the defendant construes as a residency requirement for New York licenses. These arguments are unpreserved and, for the reasons set forth in People v Cabrera, decided today, we do not reach them. Turning to Telfair's Molyneux claim, the general rule is that evidence of a defendant's prior uncharged crimes or bad acts is inadmissible in a criminal trial, see Molyneux. The natural and inevitable tendency of the tribunal, whether judge or jury is to give excessive weight to the vicious record of crime thus exhibited, and either to allow it to bear too strongly on the present charge, or to take the proof of it as justifying a condemnation irrespective of guilt of the present charge, People v. Sakowitz. Excluding such evidence avoids the risk of infecting jury deliberations with forbidden propensity inferences, see Molyneux, People v. Ventimiglia. There are, however, exceptions to this rule evidence of prior crimes may be admissible if it helps to establish some element of the crime under consideration or is relevant because of some recognized exception to the general rule people v alvino in molyneux we set out several such exceptions motive intent absence of mistake or accident common scheme or plan or identity of the defendant see molyneux in reviewing a molyneux ruling we must first assess whether the people have identified some issue, other than mere criminal propensity, to which the evidence is relevant, People v. Huddy. That is a question of law, not discretion, for this court's review, see People v. Cass, Alvino. If the evidence is relevant to some issue other than propensity, we consider whether the probative value of the evidence outweighs its potential for prejudice, People v. Ely, quoting Ventimiglia the trial court's decision to admit the evidence may not be disturbed simply because a contrary determination could have been made or would have been reasonable. Rather, it must constitute an abuse of discretion as a matter of law, People v. Morris, citing Cass. If the court concludes that Molyneux evidence was erroneously admitted, harmless error analysis determines whether a new trial is warranted, see People v. Franklin. The threshold question, Then, is whether the prior incident evidence was relevant to an issue other than propensity. We conclude it was not. The key question at trial was knowledge whether Telfair knew that the guns were in his truck. That focus was clear at a pre trial hearing, in defense counsel's opening statement and on summation, and in an exchange with the court following the jury's question on the significance of the Molyneux evidence. While the dissent insists there is no meaningful difference between knowledge and mistake here, The distinction seems plain, for example, one might know an item had been in a car but mistakenly think it had been removed, as opposed to having no knowledge it had ever been there in the first place. Precedent bears that out, Molyneux and its progeny distinguish between mistake or accident and intent or guilty knowledge, Molyneux, Cass. But our disagreement with the dissent on the nature of the defense is not dispositive of the outcome here. Whether labeled as knowledge or mistake, the evidence regarding the 2006 and 2007 incidents did not increase the possibility that Telfair knew there were guns in his car in June 2017. Molyneux and later cases rest on the proposition that in circumstances where intent is not to be inferred from the commission of the act, proof of intent is often unobtainable except by evidence of successive repetitions of the act, Molyneux. For example, in a case alleging check forgery, evidence that at or near the same time the defendant had passed, or had in his possession, similar forged instruments would be relevant to prove intent, and the same is true for allegations of passing counterfeit money, receiving stolen property and obtaining money under false pretenses. In these instances, the admission of prior bad acts evidence is founded on the Law of Probabilities, People v. Ingram, as the dissent notes, or a theory of warning. Evidence of the 2006 and 2007 incidents was not relevant to whether Telfair knew that the guns in question were in his vehicle in 2017. The warning theory has no application here, that Telfair unknowingly possessed other guns in two completely different circumstances about 10 years prior could not have put him on notice that there might have been guns in his truck this time. As for the law of probabilities, The dissent, echoing the prosecutor's summation, argues that defendant's history of repeatedly transporting firearms outside the jurisdictions in which they were licensed, as well as the similarity of his excuses when caught refute his defense here. But in Ingram, on which the dissent relies, the court emphasized the factual similarity and temporal proximity of the later robbery to the one at issue in concluding that the evidence was properly admitted to cast doubt on the defendant's claim of innocence, Ingram. In other cases where this court has permitted Molyneux evidence to prove a subjective element of a crime, or to rebut a defendant's defense as to that element, the prior acts were likewise proximate in time and quite similar to the alleged crime, see example Alvino, evidence of recent, repeated, and highly similar uncharged crimes admissible, People v. Caban license suspension resulting from defendant's traffic incident three months prior properly admitted to prove mens rea where the license was suspended for conduct frighteningly similar backing unsafely into a crosswalk people v bradley evidence of a prior homicide relevant to about a claim of extreme emotional disturbance made with respect to a subsequent homicide where the homicides were very similarly targeted and committed and relatively closely spaced citing cass Evidence admissible where homicides occurred in similar circumstances and 14 months apart. Not so here. The 2006 and 2007 incidents were neither very similar nor close in time to the 2017 incident. Just the opposite, they involved different guns, different sets of circumstances, different excuses, and occurred more than 10 years earlier. In that key respect, this case resembles People v. Bradley where we reiterated the general principle that evidence of prior incidents may be admissible to prove a subjective element such as state of mind, but held that conduct similar only in broad respects and occurring at a remote, indeterminate time would disclose only the defendant's violent propensity and the manner of its expression and was thus not sufficiently relevant to be admissible. Likewise, the prior gun possession incidents here are essentially evidence of prior wrongdoing that tended to show only that if defendant did it once he would do it again, people v Vargas, Alvino, people v Katz, proof showing that a shot b at one time and place throws no light upon the charge that a poison c at another time and place, this is precisely the type of result that the Molyneux rule was adopted to prevent. The dissent's assertion that today's ruling destabilizes our century-old Molyneux jurisprudence is puzzling, to say the least. Our disagreement turns on whether this particular Molyneux evidence is relevant to an issue other than defendant's propensity to possess guns. If anything, it is the dissent's view that would upset our precedent. Neither the people nor the dissent have identified any New York appellate decision upholding reliance upon a defendant's prior possession of a gun to show subsequent knowing possession of a different gun, let alone doing so where the circumstances of the prior incident are so remote and distinct from those of the charged incident. The case cited by the appellate division below allowed testimony that the defendant knowingly possessed a gun in his residence two years earlier to prove his knowing possession of the same gun within the same residence, People v. Lawrence, see also People v. Kidd, testimony that defendant had purchased and used or displayed the same gun relevant to defendant's knowing possession of that same gun four years later. Rather, The appellate division has held that evidence of prior possession of a different gun is not necessarily relevant to whether a defendant knowingly possessed a new firearm, see people v. Singleton. As for the dissent suggestion that we proceed blithely here, consistent with our duty to safeguard the rights of criminal defendants to a fair trial, we have reversed in numerous cases when Molyneux evidence was improperly admitted, see example people v Vargas, reversing conviction for rape, sodomy, sexual abuse, and attempted robbery on Molyneux grounds, Huddy reversing conviction for multiple counts of sexual abuse and endangering child welfare on Molyneux grounds, Ely, reversing murder conviction on Molyneux grounds, People v. Santarelli, Zakowitz. If, as the dissent suggests, the People are regularly relying on Molyneux evidence of prior gun possession to prove current knowing possession of different guns which the dearth of case law on the topic suggests is not the case, we have no doubt that the people will be able to conform their tactics to our holding today in order to avoid reversal of firearm possession convictions on appeal. Moving on to the final step in our analysis, we hold that the trial court's ruling was not harmless. There was circumstantial evidence from which the jury could have inferred that Telfair knowingly possessed the guns in this case, but not overwhelming proof of guilt, and we cannot conclude there was no significant probability the jury would have acquitted Telfair had the evidence of the 2006 and 2007 incidents been excluded. While the people argue that the split verdict means that any Molyneux error must have been harmless, there is no reason to reach that conclusion, rather than its inverse. The prosecution's comments in summation compounded the impact of admitting the evidence of the prior incidents and make it even more difficult to conclude the error was harmless. Given that the propriety of these comments largely rises or falls with the Molyneux ruling, they did not amount to prosecutorial misconduct. Telfair separately contends the trial court committed reversible error in permitting testimony by both his wife, Samantha Telfair and then-girlfriend, Katerina Scotto. As to other uncharged crimes allegedly committed against them, we hold that it did not. As to the testimony of Telfer's wife, the court provided adequate limiting instructions, to which the defendant did not object. As to Scotto's testimony, the defendant himself first raised these allegations during opening statements and during Scotto's cross-examination, and the people only elicited her testimony on redirect and in any event, the testimony was harmless because it did not speak to the critical issue of whether Telfair knowingly possessed the firearms. Because we conclude that Supreme Court erred in admitting Molyneux evidence regarding the 2006 and 2007 incidents and that the error cannot be deemed harmless, we reverse. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division should be reversed and a new trial ordered, decided November 21, 2023. Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors' Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org law.